Hello. <laughs> I heard someone trying to anticipate. <laughs> and praise the Lord. <laughs> God bless all of you. Thank you very much for being here tonight. You made the right choice. Amen. Lord Jesus Christ is here. His presence is here. And where His presence is, anything is possible. Amen. Let's all stand this evening. Evening. While we go to the Lord in prayer for this service, I also want to pray for uh, a man by the name of James. Uh, he contacted us via the website. Uh, I made contact with him today. Uh, he, he left an email address. He wants prayer. He's trying to get back into church. Uh, he wants to know more about God. And uh, I'm assuming he has some questions. And uh, uh, let's pray for him this evening. Yes, sir. James and James. Amen. Try to remember both of them. <laughs> Amen. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God has something in store for each of us here this evening. I don't know exactly what that is individually, but it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome because it's from God. Amen. Lord Jesus, I am so thankful for you this evening. I am so thankful for your great faithfulness to us the long-suffering patience that you exhibit daily toward me. Hallelujah, Jesus. Lord, we come to in prayer for these two individuals, uh, James and James. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name for both of these, that you would speak with them, that you would minister unto them, that the questions they have would be answered of you. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to lead them, stir them, put in their hearts a hunger and a thirst for holiness and for righteousness, for a relationship with Jesus Christ. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Lead them and guide them, I pray, into all truth. For our service here this evening, Lord, that you would assume control from this point forward. This is your service. We are your people. We humbly submit ourselves to you. We seek your face. We, we seek to hear your voice tonight. Whatever you say, Lord, that will we do. And I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that your name here tonight would be glorified in our midst. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. Praise God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing this evening. You can be seated. Our scripture text tonight is going to be found in the book of Exodus, chapter 33. <clears throat> I have difficulty holding this heavy mic. And it sags every once in a while. And I noticed last Sunday that it's affecting the sound. <laughs> so I'm going to try to keep it up here. Exodus chapter 33, verses 11 through 23. This is an account that is transpiring between Moses and God. And it's an account that I absolutely love. It's an account that I've used in my own life to encourage myself to push forward and to, to try to draw closer that 
that there is a relationship with God that man has yet to achieve here on earth. And that I could still attain to that relationship if I make it a priority. Starting with verse 11, says, The Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I might find grace, that I might find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. For when, wherein shall it be known here that I and my people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken. For thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. The Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. And it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in the cliff of, of the rock and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. Moses asked, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And also Jeremiah nine twenty three and 24 says, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glory glory in this, that he understandeth, and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Amen. I want to speak for just a little while tonight on this topic, knowing God. Knowing God. <clears throat> I hope we discover tonight that, if we don't know already, it's important to know God. To know not only who He is, although that's incredibly important as well, but we need a personal relationship with Him. There's a story, and I found a few variants online. I guess as one guy says, I've heard it both ways. And uh, so, the story goes generally like this. There's a group of blind men, uh, and they're trying to discover what this elephant is. <clears throat> Some of you have heard this. Well, one guy goes up and he starts feeling around on the trunk. So he, he okay, I know what an elephant is. It's kind of rough, uh, pretty flexible, strong, and it can, it's got holes on the end. It can blow air and water out. Another guy's like, no, that's not it at all. He's feeling around on the leg. And the leg is quite a bit thicker and stronger, 
little bit flexible, but instead of holes, it's got this great big pad that can stomp you to death. And that's what an elephant is. Third guy's like, that's not it at all. He's feeling the tail. It's this little thing. It's you got the texture right, but it's kind of small. Still flexible, but very small. A fourth guy's, you're all wrong. He's feeling the trunk or the the tusk. You're, you guys are all wrong. It's nothing like that at all. It's it's strong and 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 hard and pointy on the end. Well, we of course know that. An elephant is all of those things and more, all wrapped up into one. And so, trying to describe someone or something using one characteristic or one aspect is not necessarily an accurate picture. And I fear a lot of times uh, we do that with God. Certainly the Christian world at large does that with God. Uh, You have... Kind of this camp where Jesus is love. And that's true. He is love. Uh, but that's not all He is. That's one aspect of God. Uh, but there, there are some people that they form their whole doctrine, their whole, their whole knowledge of God around that one aspect. There are other people, uh, I don't know what their relationship would be with God, but they see Him as a stern disciplinarian. He's a God of judgment and and righteousness and justice. And that's all He is. And, and, you know, that's also, those are also uh, character traits of God. But that's not who God is. That's a part of who He is. That's not all. And so, understanding who God is becomes, we we, we begin to understand that God is this, this multifaceted being. Just like you. Just like me. If you take a picture of me, uh, a snapshot of me, one minute of just a random moment in my life, and I just hit my thumb with a hammer, and I'm angry, and I'm... Ah! And that's all you see of me. Well, that guy's, that guy's an angry man. He's got anger issues. I want nothing to do with him. That's, that's not who I am. I promise. It's just this is that one moment, <clears throat> and so we we need a complete picture, don't we? We need to understand all of who God is. Now, again, there's no possible way for us on this side of glory to understand the totality of who God is. He's infinite. There's no way for us to comprehend completely and wholly His whole character. But those things that He has revealed to us. Those things we not only can know, we need to know. And so it behooves us as Christians to understand those things. So how do we find out who God is? Well, we've got two sources, generally speaking. Two sources of revelation. I promise you, science will not confirm or deny the existence of God. It won't. There are arguments, philosophical arguments you can use and... uh, Uh, We could go into some of them. But at the end of the day, you cannot prove and you cannot disprove the existence of God scientifically. He exists beyond those methods. So revelation is what we need, folks. We need a revelation of who God is. And we get those from two sources. 
Romans 1, if you, if you read through that, we discover a general revelation of who God is through His creation. And we've talked about this before at length. How do I know how big our Creator is? Well, look at what He created. This is huge. Billions of light years across. That means it would take light billions of years to cross it at the speed of light. So that's a great big long ways away. So he's got to be big. There's a lot of stars, a lot of galaxies out there. Well, who's buying the fuel to run these things? This guy's got a lot of power. He's got a lot of energy available to him. We look at life, the DNA molecule, the cellular structure. This guy's very intelligent. <clears throat> so there's, there's characteristics of God that we can discover through general revelation. But there are shortcomings. Now when we talk about general revelation, we, we can talk about the physical aspects as well as metaphysical aspects. Okay? Now, there are... We'll get into those later. Uh, but there are some shortcomings of general revelation. And that is that we can't discover His name. We can't discover how He feels about me. We can't discover what He feels about His creation. Uh, we don't know anything about Him other than some uh, metaphysical characteristics of His. How big He is. How strong He is. How smart He is. I don't know anything about character traits of God. Is He a loving God? Does He care what I do or don't do? I don't know any of those things. And that's where we need specific revelation. That's the Bible. That's Scripture. In the Bible, we discover the character of God. Now, this covers all the shortcomings of general revelation. Uh, and that also reveals some of the more metaphysical aspects of God. That He is a God of love. That He is a God of justice. That He is a God of mercy. All of these things. And I... Uh, I find it interesting, I've been looking at some stuff uh, on YouTube, some, uh, some atheist stuff. I like doing that from time to time, it helps keep me sharp. But uh, <clears throat> when someone says, for example, that, uh, or Richard Dawkins is a, does anyone know who Richard Dawkins is? Yeah. Is he, is he gone now? Oh, well, he's not an atheist anymore. <clears throat> Poor form on the joke, but <clears throat> it's true. Uh, he was a staunch atheist. He hated Christianity. He fought against it tooth and nail. And he described, I wish I had the quote, he described God as a megalomaniac, uh, narcissistic, uh, petty, jealous, you know, on and on and on and on and on. The worst guy that, that history has ever seen. And then, a little bit later, he goes on in this book, The God Delusion, he goes on to say that in his worldview, justice, mercy, love, those things are an illusion. In a materialistic world, they can't, they, they have no meaning. There is no right or wrong. Why would there be? We've talked about this as well. There's no ought to. There's no moral impetus. 
in a materialistic world. So when someone says God is unfair, God is unjust, that, I don't believe in him. You're kind of contradicting yourself. The idea of justice in the first place comes because there is a God. If there is no God, there is no justice. These characteristics of God, I'm sorry, these character traits of God, these form the basis of our morality. Why do we believe murder is wrong? They have no good answer for that. They know it's wrong. Everybody knows it's wrong. We all agree on that. But they have no reason to believe that. We, of course, have a very simple explanation. All people were created in the image and likeness of God. And because of that, every person has more, uh, intrinsic value. But that value is found outside of ourselves. It's found in the character of God. Because we're formed in His image. We have value. If God doesn't exist, where does our value come from? I don't know either. So in specific revelation, we determine these things. We discover these things. Now, I, I make a distinction between character and characteristics. It's an artificial distinction, but I'm going to go with that. Uh, when Jesus says he wants us to become Christ-like, he's referring to his character, not his characteristics. For example, when I say I want to be Christ-like, I'm not saying that I want to be all-powerful. I'm not saying that I want to sit on the throne like he does. Okay? That's, that's for God to do. That, that's him. When I say I want to be Christ-like, I'm saying I want to reflect his character. I want to love like he does. I want to have mercy like He does. Execute judgment like He does. I want to reflect His character. Not, I'm not talking about His characteristics. So these two things form the basis of our understanding of who God is. When I was first coming to the Lord, when I was first being really discipled, I would just gotten the Holy Ghost. I'd been baptized a little while ago, and uh, I think I told you guys about how I started really praying. I didn't want to pray, didn't want anything to do with it, uh, but they kind of forced me, cajoled me, guilted me, whatever it was. I'm like, yeah, okay, fine, I'll go, because we're going to go out to eat afterward. We're going to have we're going to have some fellowship afterward. Sounds good. I'll endure this. Because I'm, I'm still kind of a Lutheran mindset here. You know, for an hour. Are you serious? An hour of that? <clears throat> All right. I'll do the hour so I can hang out with you guys after. So, uh, but I came along, I came along, God worked with me, and I, finally I, I fell in love with it. Why did I fall in love with it? Because I felt the presence of God. Because he was so close and so powerful in those, those sessions of prayer. He talked to me. And I talked to him. And, and we were building this awesome relationship. And so I was like, okay, this is fantastic. This is awesome. And continued along like that for a while. And I was growing and I was growing. And, and at some point, this, it fell off a cliff. 
just all of a sudden. I'd go to the prayer room and it was, for me at least, it was dead. I didn't feel a thing. And I'd basically, at the same time, just about stop talking in tongues. It was very rare for me. I, I was going a month or more. And I started to get concerned. And I started to get frustrated. But see, here's, here's, I heard a thing by uh, Robbie Zacharias a little bit ago. And you can think about him what you want, but I still think God spoke through him. He's still got some great stuff out there. He said this to someone during one of his interviews. He said, and I'm going to misquote it, but it's generally like this. Make good decisions when you're in the light. Because when you get into the darkness... You want to be in a, a, a good position. You want to be in a position of good standing. If you make good decisions in the light, when things are easy, when the presence of God is close, when everything is going good, you grow, you get solid, you memorize Scripture, you, you have a good relationship with God, you know His character, you know who He is. So when you get into the darkness and you feel separated from God and you feel like things are falling apart and you're all alone, then you can still make decisions based on God's character. You're not sitting there wondering, where is God? You're not, you're not, or worse, what is God doing this for? Does He hate me? Did I do something wrong? I started thinking those things. What am I supposed to do with this? Somebody gets angry. This is exactly what they do to me. But that's not what I understood about God. And I'm not not boasting or bragging. I'm trying to make a point here. That we need to know God. We need a good relationship with Him. So that we can trust Him in these times as well. It's easy to trust God when the bank account's full and there's more than enough food on the table. I got promoted at work. Everything's fantastic. The kids adore me. My wife worships me. What else? What, what, what more could I ask for? This is awesome. Of course I trust God. I've said this before. Every worldview works in that scenario. There's no worldview that will not work in that scenario. But where everything else falls apart is in the exact opposite scenario. When you got all kinds of stress, when you got all kinds of worry and doubt and fear, and you're all alone and you're scared, that's when Christianity really shines. But only if, only if you know God. If you don't know God, if you don't trust in Him, you don't have the idea that, well, whatever it is, if it is of God, He means it for good. Because He loves me and He wants the best for me, instead of doubting whether or not He even exists. That's a relationship issue. 
by the grace of God, by the mercy of God, I ended up deciding I was going to start trying to find him. And I did. I think, I mean, there are a lot of cases. I mean, this isn't, this isn't a, an uncommon problem. All of you at one point or another have experienced this, I'm sure. The seeming silence of God. He, he seems to pull away for a season. But there's good reasons for that. A couple of them, maybe He's trying to move me to a higher place in Him. And I'm going to need to struggle a little bit to get out of this cocoon that I'm in. I'm going to need to develop a little bit of strength, a little bit of courage to get to where He wants me to be. Or maybe he's just, it's, it's a season of testing. Are you serving me for the loaves and fishes? Or are you serving me because you love me? Because it was easy to come to prayer. Just a little bit ago, I'd, I'd go into the prayer room and boom, I was overwhelmed by God. Okay, here we go. This is going to be good. And it's possible I probably got used to that. I should have been shook out of my complacency. In any case, I know that it was good that it, that it happened. It ended up furthering my experience. It ended up furthering my relationship with God. And I was only able to go through that because of a, of a relationship I had previously. Folks, we've got to know God. We've got to know who He is. And we've got to develop a relationship with Him. A.W. Tozer in his book, The Pursuit of God, if you haven't read it, buy the book, read it. Not now, as soon as service is over. Buy the book, and then read it. He says this, and I quote, Current evangelicalism has, to change the figure, laid the altar and divided the sacrifice into parts, but now seems satisfied to count the stones and rearrange the pieces with never a care that there is not a sign of fire upon the top of lofty Carmel. But God be thanked that there are a few who care. They are those who, while they love the altar and delight in the sacrifice, are yet unable to reconcile themselves to the continued absence of fire. They desire God above all. They are athirst to taste for themselves the piercing sweetness of the love of Christ about whom all the holy prophets did write and the psalmists did sing. So this is the difference between knowing who God is and knowing God. They're both important. They're both necessary. But we can't stop about at knowing about God. We can't stop there. We've got to have a relationship with Him. And folks, the relationship He wants to have with us is vibrant. It's powerful. It's mighty. The Scripture text that we read, we read about Moses. Moses and God. I very much appreciate Moses. He is probably my favorite Old Testament character. And the reason is this right here. Because he spoke with God face to face as a man speaks with his friend. The first time I read that, the first time I read that, that blew right over me. All the way through me. That man could have a relationship with God like that. 
This is the Old Testament. The Old Testament. It was ushered into the very presence of God. The backward parts, but the presence of God. Because he'd found grace in the sight of God. And the relationship that he had was such that when he was in the presence of God, he could just take everything off and be himself. He could be transparent with God. But because of his relationship with God, when he came before the people, he had to wear a veil over his face because of the, the, the brightness that he was reflecting from God's, from God's presence. Being in God's presence does that to someone. People are going to know, folks, when you've been in the presence of God. They know that. They knew it to the point that they were uncomfortable with it. I don't know if it was conviction or, or what it was. They just didn't understand. They're like, Moses, cover it up, dude. And he did. So when he went before the people, he was covered up. When he went before God, he was open. That's the relationship with God that I want. I want that. And the good thing is, I can have that. The relationship that I have with God, the relationship that you have with God, is determined by one thing and one thing only. Your choice. That's it. You are literally one choice away from a deeper walk with God. God wants it. God wants a complete, a a, a whole, perfect relationship with you. Just as close as you can get. But He's waiting on you. He's waiting on me. It's up to us. It's up to us. The relationship that God, the relationship that, that is available to us. See, I read all of these stories about uh, historical figures in church history. Uh, and even more recently, our, our Pentecostal heritage, uh, starting with Azusa Street and moving on. Howard Goss and, and, and all of them. They seem to have a few things in common. One of which is a deep-seated yearning, a desire for the presence of God. If, if, has anybody ever read Puritan works? You should read some. They're not, they're not doctrinally correct, but the passion and the zeal that they have in their writings is convicting. It's absolutely convicting. I have this uh, series by William Grinnell called The Complete Armor of God. It's about this thick and it's the abridged version. <clears throat> Three volumes. I, I don't know what the unabridged is. I've not been that interested <laughs> yet. <laughs> but I mean, it's, it's like 500 pages of meat and potatoes. And, and the, the, the passion and the zeal. 
and some of their poems and some of their, their devotionals is just absolutely, it blows me away. It blows me away. And I look at, I look at uh, people overseas. We just spoke about that. The passion that they have, the yearning that they have for something real. To stand in the presence of God with their sins washed away means more to them than anything in the world. People will walk four, six, eight hours to get to a church service. And they'll stay overnight and then they'll walk the same back in the morning. Because the service is probably going to last all night. They have something that I'm missing. These historical figures obtained something that I I don't seem to have. I want it. I want it. And I can have it. And so can you if we'll make it a priority in our lives. Knowing God, knowing who God is, is so important. It's so important. Because when the darkness comes, that's all we've got left. There may come a time in your life where your friends and family are gone. There may come a time in your life where your Bible is gone. And all you have to pull off of is a relationship with God and whatever you happen to memorize. Now, if you stand by Bishop, you'll still have your Bible. (laughs) I think he's got it pretty much all wrapped up. But the Bible is where we, we read about God. This is where we learn about God. This is where we learn about who God is, His character, His characteristics. We observe creation. That's A lot of people don't like science. A lot of people don't like they 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 love the discoveries. They love the the they they enjoy the the fruit of science. But a lot of people don't like the the process of science and how people arrived at certain conclusions. And that absolutely fascinates me. I have <clears throat> you could probably talk about just about anything. Uh in physics or science, and I would be interested. I may not know what you're talking about, but I'm going to be interested in it. And the reason I'm interested in it is the same reason the 16th and 17th and 18th century scientists were interested in it. Because they started with a worldview that all things were created by God. That God spoke everything into existence out of nothing. And from that premise... From that presupposition, they began to examine and to observe how did God create this thing? How did God build this thing? And I'm, I'm kind of more uh, abstract than I am. Uh, what's the opposite of that? Yeah, irrelevant. Concrete. <laughs> Concrete. The details kill me. Big picture, I can do that all day long. That excites me. That energizes me. And so, 
When I start thinking about God creating everything, I start thinking about, well, here's some of the things that he had to think about. Solid versus liquid versus gas. How come it is that my foot doesn't go through this, but it goes through this? Why is that? Well, God built it that way. But we can go into the, the, the chemical bonds and we can go into the molecular bonds and, and all of that, and we can discover exactly what properties they have that create that, that solid versus gas versus liquid. And God had to write all of, that, all of those rules. He had to do all of that. He had to figure it all out. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But when he, he, when he just spoke it, all of these other things came into, into existence as well. All the natural laws, the laws that govern gravity, celestial bodies. That was a huge discovery in the 17th century. Isaac Newton figured all that out. That was huge. And it turns out relatively simple. Once you know it's there, it's not that hard to... to See the equation and, and figure it out. But God wrote that. So, for me, I love science because it helps me get into the mind of God a little bit more. I discover God in, in, in all kinds of stuff in creation. And it, it absolutely blows my mind and it fascinates me. And I can draw close to God doing that. Not everyone can. And that's fine. But... That's, that's the main reason I'm so interested in science, is because God built these things. He built these, these, these constructs, these laws, these rules that govern everything. I, I, I try to think of, of making a computer simulation of this and putting everything in. That'd be a lot of code, folks. That would be impossible at this point in time. Because I'd have to create uh, non-player characters within that simulation that were able to write programs that could create the simulations themselves. Right? We're not there yet. So God absolutely, everything about God fascinates me. And, and, and I, I'm awed every time I, I go to the Word of God. I'm awed every time I, I, I see a, a animation of, of cellular processes. There are molecules that are walking around in, in your cells like they're robots. They look like they're, they're carrying stuff across this platform from one place to another. I was like, really? Yeah. Yeah, these are atheistic scientists putting these together. That just blows me away. God created that. God built it that way. And He built it that way for a reason. I want to know God. And any way I can get closer to Him, any, anything more I can discover about Him, man, that's what I want to do. Because He has... He has completely captured my imagination, folks. He has. I don't, I don't need to, to 
figure out any, anything more what I'm going to do with my life. I don't need some big thing to be a part of that's bigger than me. I found it. I found it right here. And getting to know Him for the rest of my life. And then afterward, I get to spend eternity with Him. There was a time in my life where that didn't seem all that exciting to me. <clears throat> I like these experiences, but you know, relationships, they're a lot of work, right? They're work. If you have a, a good relationship with someone, a solid, close relationship, it's because you invested some time into that. And probably some tears into that as well. Casual relationships, they come and go. Those are, those are easy. But building something long-term, that takes work. And so when I started out with God, I knew that. I knew that. And I didn't like that. I didn't like the work. I didn't want to put the work in. But the more time I spent with Him, the more I got to know Him, I mean, for a while it was all one-sided. I'll be honest with you. He did all the work. He probably still is doing all the work. I'm making some choices, different choices now. But even those choices are because He's given me the will and the desire to to do that. But uh, it's not time to go yet. (laughs) Okay. But the more I spent time with Him, the more I got to know Him, the more I desired to know Him, the more I desired to build a relationship with Him. And the more I built a relationship with Him, the more I wanted to. And it it became a positive cycle. And it's still going today. Some of you can testify the exact same thing. You know God intimately. You've You've been through some really high highs, and you've been through some really low lows with God. And He's brought you through all of them. He does have to bring us through the high highs sometimes. Because it's then that we're tempted to deny Christ. Everything's going good. Alright, some scriptures uh, that I found that relate to this. Matthew 11, verse 20. 9. <laughs> yeah, I knew it, glasses. It says this. <laughs> Needed to for a year and a half. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Jesus himself is exhorting us learn of me, learn of him. When does that stop? It's not ever going to stop. You're never going to exhaust God. 1 Corinthians 2 and 2 says, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now this is the Apostle Paul speaking. This is not some Joe Schmuck the Ragman coming down the road. Okay? This is a very intelligent, a very accomplished, a very lettered individual. Okay? He sat at the feet of Gamaliel, who was, that was Harvard University, MIT, 
whatever side you want to look at. If you were t- if you were tutored by Gamaliel, that w- you, that was it. Your future was assured. You were going to go on and you were going to do great things. And he went on and, at least in his own mind, he was doing great things. Persecuting the church of God. Well, he got a wake-up call on the road to Damascus. And from that point forward, he began building a relationship with Jesus Christ. He began submitting himself to him and doing his work, his will, his way. At this point in his life, he's like, I don't need to know anything else except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He says in the book of Philippians that I might know Him in the power of His resurrection and in the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. We've got to know Him in both places, folks. We've got to know Him way up here, and we've got to know Him way down here. He's the same God in both places. The same promises apply in both places. The promises that you've received up here, they still apply down here. One guy said, uh, Tim Olson, I heard this from Brother Tim Olson, pastors in South Dakota. He said, Don't forget in the darkness what God told you in the light. Absolutely true. I love that. But it's easy to do. Why is it easy to do? Because we start to doubt the character of God. That's why. If we never doubted God's character, we would never question our circumstances. We wouldn't. We would simply trust that this is where I need to be now. And God's got something great for me on the other side. And that's it. We talked about the real spiritual killers last service. Ease. Prosperity. Comfort. Those are the things that we ought to be looking out for. But those are the things that we desire the most. We look at those as blessings. But I think if we I think if we looked at those through spiritual eyes, we would see them as tests, as trials. In my experience, when things are going great in my life, that seems to be the hardest time for me spiritually. Now, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't. Again, it's a simple matter of choice. But it always seems more difficult for me to get close to God when things are going great. Conversely, when everything's falling apart, it's easier for me to start getting into the presence of God. And the reason for that is this. Now I need God. I know where to go when I need something. I don't need anything when things are going great. Does that mean I don't need to pray? Of course not. I still need to pray, and I should probably pray more for that very reason. 
But I find those, those periods in my life to be tests. A temptation, if you will, to forget God. To start thinking, I got this all on my own. People who are in persecuted churches, persecuted countries, apparently, from what I read and and saw, they pray this all the time. I don't want the persecution to stop. I'm just praying that I'm strong in the midst of it. That I can glorify God in the midst of persecution. How can you even pray something like that? Second Timothy 1 and 12 says, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. Why? For I know whom I have, whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I want to to say two things about this verse. One, he's he's in a period of of trial right now. He's not on the mountaintop. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Present tense. But he knows who he believes in. He knows Jesus Christ. He knows who he is, who his character is. He knows that wherever I am, I'm here for a reason. Because he also has this assurance that he's doing what God wants with his life. I've told people this, and I I don't think this is a personality trait that everyone has. It's, It's a personality trait, I think. But for me personally, if I know I'm right about something, that's all I need. I don't care if anybody else believes that I'm right. As long as I know that God sees me as right. If I can stand before God and be just and be right with Him, everything else is good. Now, it's not comfortable. If someone threw me in prison and I knew I was right with God, I would, I would have a peace about that. I wouldn't want to be in prison. I'd want to be out of prison. But I would be at peace because I know that God sees me as right. I'm, our relationship is good. Okay? If I don't know that, nothing else matters in my life. I have got to figure this out now. If I think I'm doing something wrong with my life, if I think that God is questioning something I'm saying or doing, that bothers me. Because now I don't have that assurance. I need that assurance. And I gotta go. I gotta go searching for it. Either I'm wrong or I'm right. If I'm wrong, I'm gonna fix it. If I'm right, I'm gonna confirm it. I'm good. I think Paul had that same assurance. And when we're in the midst of trial, when we're in the midst of, of even persecution, as long as our relationship with God is good, if my life is pleasing to Him, that's all we need to know. At that point, we can determine, well, I'm here, by the, I'm here by the will of God. God has something for me in this. And so we can be persuaded. And the other thing that he talks about here 
He's persuaded that He's able to deliver me. He's persuaded that He's able to save me from these afflictions. He doesn't say that at all, which I find fascinating. What does He say? That God is able to keep that which I have committed unto Him against that day. Who, what's He talking about here? He's talking about people. He's talking about churches. The work of God. That's what He's talking about. That's what, that's what He's concerned about. That's where His heart is. Isn't that amazing? <clears throat> Paul's, he's amazing. Another quote by E.W. Tozier. And with this I'll close. He says, It is not mere words that nourish the soul, but God Himself. And unless and until the hearers find God in personal experience, they are not the better for having heard the truth. The Bible is not an end unto itself, but a means to bring men to an intimate and satisfying knowledge of God, that they may enter into Him, that they may delight in His presence, may taste and know the inner sweetness of the very God Himself in the core and center of their hearts. Now let me say something uh, else about this, maybe temper it a little bit. Is doctrine important? Absolutely it is. Is it important that we know... Uh, what the Bible says that we ought and ought not do. Absolutely. We need all of those things. We need proper interpretation. We need good exegesis. We need all of that. But at the end of the day, what do the Old Testament and New Testament point to? Jesus Christ. That's who they point to. We need to memorize the Scriptures. We need to have them hidden in our hearts that we might not sit against Him. We need to have a, a good, uh, solid understanding of doctrine, of Scripture. We need to study to show ourselves approved. All of these things are true. But all of that should be leading us to Jesus Christ. It should be leading us into a closer walk with Him. A more intimate, personal relationship with Him. And if it's not, folks something's wrong, then you're getting the letter of the law, and we read that the letter killeth. The Spirit giveth life. There are plenty of Bible-teaching churches. That's all they do is teach Bible. I love teaching Bible. I love hearing the teaching of Bible. Love it. But that has got to lead me somewhere. That's being presented for a reason. Not just so I know more. Not just so I can stand up and quote a bunch of Scriptures. That's leading me into a relationship with Jesus Christ. The more Scripture I know and understand, the more I know and understand the God of Scripture. And that's my purpose. That's, 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 my, that's my end game. That's my goal is to get the close, as close to Him as possible. That's God's desire. That's God's desire for all of us. That we know Him, that we understand who He is, and that we're able to trust in Him. These experiences that He has yet in store for all of us. Powerful experiences. Dreams and visions, maybe. I don't know how they're going to manifest themselves. 
But folks, let your imagination run wild. And you still can't tap, you still can't tap into everything that God wants to do in you and through you. Think of how close God can be. How personal God can be. That is exactly what He desires. Amen. Let's all stand. Lord Jesus, I am in awe of You this evening. Everything I read about You, everything I discover about You, everything I experience in You fills me with wonder and awe. I'm overwhelmed with Your goodness, overcome by Your greatness. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank You, Lord, for continuing to woo us, to draw us with cords of love to a, a deeper walk, a closer relationship with You, causing us to become more like You each and every day. Help us, I pray, to get passionate, to get zealous for a close walk with You, to experience the fullness of Jesus in our lives. In so doing, help us to trust You. Help us to, to uh, understand who You are, what You desire to do. Thank You, Jesus, for the opportunity to know You. Bless the people of God. Minister unto them in every, every way. Uh, take care of every need. Bring us back at the day appointed. And these things we ask in